Welcome to the fellowship. Adam Hawk here, joined by Ryan Engel, and I mean it when I say it today, pards. Just an absolutely jam-packed iPod broadcast. Mm. An embarrassment of topics to get to, so let's not waste any time. Hopefully you're caffeinated, and we don't have to break for coffee 45 seconds into the show like we did last week. Well, the pot's looking a little light, bud. We might have to, uh, you know, depending on how this first cup goes, take a little breather and get on over there for a little... You know what I mean. (laughs) Well, glad you have a cup of coffee and we can do the show. We might break later so you can brew a second pot. But until then, let's cover as much ground as we can, as quickly as we can, starting with who else? Eldrick Taunt Woods. He's back. And I have no idea why Golf Channel, NBC, and Peacock spent a dime for the broadcast rights of the Hero World Championship because anyone with an Instagram account could have watched every single shot, every single stride, and every single interview from Tiger Woods this past week. I didn't watch more than 10 minutes of actual golf on TV, and I feel like I saw the entire tournament. I hate this topic. It's not because I hate the man. I hate that I sound like an absolute hater, but I'll tell you what, it's gross. I'd like to take this opportunity to coin the phrase bandwagon bias. That's what this is. The guy can do no wrong. Everything he does on the course is made like it's just this absolute, unbelievable, extraordinary feat from the first tee shot that went live, that he outdrove the field and he hit it 348 yards or whatever it was, right? Is anyone going to like state the obvious? You see that swing? Watch it again right now. Uh, pull it up. Little bunt fairway finder controlled knuckle that flew 285 and ran 90 yards. Yeah, he hit the speed slot. He rolled it out there. But you watch the golf Instagram, the golf media, and all the comment sections. Everyone's just losing their marble saying, oh, look, he's back. He drove it three, whatever. Look out, Augusta. Here it comes. And it's like, does anyone care about being realistic here? Justin Thomas could have hit a Stinger 3-wood the same distance if he would have hit the same spot in the fairway. <laughs> so what are we talking about? No one's looking at it for what it really is. It's just everyone's excited because he's back, and I get it. But it's just this bandwagon biased. What really pushes me over the edge is just how everyone just like puts a blindfold on and just rah-rah, cheerleads every little fart this guy sends off into the wind and it's just tired the coverage is so tired scotty scheffler is your winner for whatever that's worth the dude beat a 20-man field down at an offshore golf course surrounded by mega yachts the place looked like the beginning of a below deck episode and i was half expecting captain lee to start waving from the wheelhouse we have gone through deckhands like a condom salesman at a whorehouse you couldn't drive a straight pin up my ass with a 10 pound sledgehammer we screwed the pooch so many times we should have litter of puppies running around i am madder than a pissed on chicken i would rather drag my dick through 10 miles of broken whiskey bottles than have these holes on my boat again yeah the good news for Scott Chef is that he proved the point that if he can just putt the golf ball like an average weekend hack, then he can win golf tournaments. But again, it was a 20-man field and a somewhat glorified hit and giggle. So take that analysis with a slab of horse salt. That tournament was live without the DJ. And I don't mean Dustin Johnson. 
Back to Tiger. This is the first time we've seen him since Augusta besides the social media clips of him looping for Charlie. And I think everyone has one question on their mind. And no, it's not, is he going to win again? Or how many tournaments will he play? Or how much longer can he stay out there? The one question everyone is asking right now is... What cycle of steroids is he on? Is the dude on the spike. <laughs> oh my God. Man. Are we talking about the cream or the clear or both? Because my man looks like Barry Bonds just got traded from the Pirates to the Giants, if you know what I mean. Now, I'm obviously kidding, kind of, sort of, not really, because one, the dude did look unreasonably jacked for a 48-year-old who has been famously laid up for most of the last decade. And if you think I'm totally just goofing by asking if he's on the juice, just go and look at any of the 10 million Instagram posts about this guy over the last five days and you're going to see at least 100,000 comments asking or insinuating the exact same thing. Now, obviously, no one knows what he's doing or taking. Who's to say this guy hasn't had an immense amount of downtime the last eight months and just dropped anchor on the bench press and went after it? We know he's got a personal chef and all sorts of training at his disposal, so it's not at all unlikely that he could have gotten to that Schwarzenegger build totally naturally but let's pretend that he is juicing, and let's ask ourselves two questions about it. Why, and do we care? To the question of why, it's no secret that one of the best and most desirable benefits to steroids is their ability to help the body recover. And if there's anyone who needs recovery, it's a duct-taped 48-year-old who nearly had his leg amputated a few years ago. That would be my answer to why would he be taking steroids if he indeed is taking steroids? Why do you think he might be taking steroids? I don't think anyone with a decent head on their shoulders does not believe that he's doing something. He's got a team of people and money and technology at his disposal. He is without question doing everything he can to heal fast and gain an edge and keep that body taped together. And on top of that, he looks ripped. The tell for me is not like, well, look how buff he is. Look at his neck or look at his traps. Yeah, yeah, I get it. He looks buff. But dude, no one else in that tournament this weekend was sweating like that guy. He was sweating so bad that it was saturating his hat and dripping off of his bill while he was putting. Anybody with a fucking brain knows that something is going on there because one of the major side effects of taking TRT or testosterone boosters, whatever like that, is it opens up the pores in your sweat glands and you sweat more. It's literally what happens. And this guy is fucking pouring sweat out of his body 10, 20, 30 times more than anyone out there. Okay, let's take a time out for a quick second because I do want to clarify something. We don't know that he's on steroids and in no way am I sitting here saying, yes, we know he's on it. We're just talking about it because it really was one of the big takeaways from seeing him out on the golf course for the first time in a long time. I'm not going to say whether he is or he isn't, but Ingle, it sounds like you think that he is. I don't know if it's steroids. What I'm saying is he's clearly doing something because this is the benefit that we all have. Tiger Woods has been on TV up close and personal for a long time. So we have a long history 
of data to go off. And this doesn't pass the smell test. When he started getting more buff, remember recent years when he won the tour championship and he's changing his shirt halfway through the round? When he was younger, he never sweat like that. Some people sweat a lot, but you don't change into that sweat category without changing something in your intake. He's clearly doing whatever he can to piece his thing back together because, quite frankly, he has to. He's a bionic man. He has more screws and plates in his body than Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. You serious, Clark? Clearly, he needs any edge he can get, and he's going to get it because he has it at his disposal. Why is the tour not drug testing him? Well, how do you get a billionaire to take a drug test And how do you get a billionaire to fail one? They know they can't touch him. Look how much everyone covers for him. Why would you want to touch him? Because cheating's cheating. It's golf. No one's bigger than the game of golf. And that's my problem with Tiger Woods is he's always kind of acted like he was. You know, that's my problem recently with Rory McIlroy. It's like, shut your mouth, dude. You're there to get the ball in the hole. Don't care what you think. Okay, so my second part of the question was... Do we care? Sounds like you do, and you care because no one is bigger than the game of golf. I, for one, if Tiger Woods was taking steroids and we found it out, I wouldn't care. I am so numb to steroid use at this point, and really, who isn't? It's why everyone just lobs out that accusation as a fact whenever they see someone more jacked than they think he or she should be. And it's just a part of life now with athletes. We assume they're all taking things we've never heard of that are so advanced that they're going to skirt any kind of test. And we even trot out lines like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So I don't know that I'd care. I'd rather see a roided up Tiger Woods than no Tiger Woods at all. And if anyone deserves to take steroids, it's this guy. And how much do steroids really help your golf game? What steroid helps you with a super feely chip shot or a 45-foot slider? It helps him get to Sunday because he can't fucking walk. There's that. Well, thanks to technology, you have a 140-pound guy like Matt Fitzpatrick hitting at 300 yards. So I don't even know how much steroids would help with driving the golf ball. I think it just helps with recovery. Right. Which, yes, in my mind, is cheating. I just don't know that I care. And I mean, consider how much the conversation has changed around the Baseball Hall of Fame. You have people who vowed to lock Barry Bonds out, now saying it's not a Hall of Fame without him in it. And you have voters who feel that way too and have changed their take. So I think when you see enough of something, you just get numb to it. And I don't care anymore. What do you think would give him more of an advantage? The spike or taking a golf cart? God, I don't know. Aren't they two in the same if you really think about it? Yeah. People have been arguing for the golf cart for Tiger Woods for a long time. And to me, that's more of an advantage. This is, again, just touching on the very issues I have with all of this. No, you don't deserve it. No one deserves it. No one gets special treatment. You can't get from here to there. Sorry, bud. See ya. Bye. That's the problem. Everyone thinks that this guy gets a special privilege just because... It was so exciting to see someone pump his fist in the air and go, woo, and have these celebrations. He captured a generation of wannabe jocks to get excited about golf. Good for them. But that doesn't merit anything. No. Wait till you get to the senior tour 
which he won't even play. And that's another thing. Like, I don't even fucking go and comment on these things because I don't like arguing with nerds anymore. But one of the accounts, Golf Digest or whatever, they made this post and the caption was just like making a big deal. Like, look how good of a dude Tiger is. He waited for Scheffler at the end to congratulate him. He's the fucking host. Show me a tournament besides Riv and the hero that he waited for anybody. Because the next time he waits for someone on a tournament that he's not the host, will be the first. If there's ever an ounce of an opportunity to give this guy a pass, he's got three million people begging to fucking do it. I get it. Great talent. One of the best. But I have a hard time watching people like celebrate false idols. Next topic, but on the same guy. How much coverage is too much coverage? You know I'm a massive Tiger Woods fanboy, and you shot me a text yesterday. Thank you for bringing this up. You shot me a text yesterday asking if even I had seen enough of this guy on my social media feed this weekend, and the answer is yes, and here's why. One, it's the Hero World Challenge, a.k.a. the Zero World Challenge. No one cares. It's not a real event, and it didn't warrant as much coverage as it got. Two, he played very average golf. Dude shot a 75, 70, 71, 72, and finished 20 shots out of first place and 18th out of 20. Well, I think it was a great success. I think if I start playing uh, once a month and get my reps in and uh, get the rust off, I really look forward to the uh, opportunities to just get out here and compete. And you already said it, but he was... <laughs> Sweating like a young Adam Hawk trying to make a business deal in the Indian Wells Country Club sauna. Wow, that was when you almost died, huh? So it wasn't that appealing to get all the close-ups of his mug. And I texted it to you, and I'll say it here now. Watching Tiger Woods play this past weekend was like watching your favorite band on their fifth farewell tour at a county fair play a bunch of new songs from their 16th album when you stopped listening nine records ago. It had such a has-been look to it. Now, take into account everything I just said, and now imagine that all those very new, very average songs that your favorite band is now playing at the county fair were being played on repeat for four days on every damn radio station in the world. And this, ladies and gentlemen, or should I say gentlemen, because 98% of our podcast audience is men, is why Tiger Woods wins the player impact program every single year. This guy wasn't on social media this week. He was social media this week. And again, consider what I just said. He shot even par, played the back nine at six over, slapped it around a 20-man tournament in the Bahamas, finished 20 shots off the lead, and I saw it all despite never really turning on my television. So yes, I think it was too much coverage. It's almost like... It's a complete distraction to what's really happening. Interesting you say that because meanwhile, Scotty Scheffler won. John Rahm might be going to live. Colin Morikawa got one of the most bizarre two-shot penalties ever. There's a roof collapse at the one and only TGL Stadium. The league is postponed for a year. And oh yeah, there's a ball rollback that will change the game forever. And just like you said... All of that didn't take a backseat to Tiger Woods. It wasn't even on the same bus. There are some serious stories out there when it comes to golf, and Tiger Woods shooting even par at some bogus event was all anyone saw this weekend. If you love the guy, you love to see it. But I love the guy, and even I thought it was overkill. Not because of him, 
but because nothing he did really warranted that kind of omnipresent, nonstop coverage. Nope. And I just wonder how many cycles of this are we going to have to go through before other fanboys start tuning it out? Because you know the script. Dude disappears for six months, makes a comeback, shows up to a presser, some Yahoo asks him, do you think you can win? And then he says the line he's been saying for 30 years, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I could win. The world freaks out about it. He plays super average golf, shows up on a Sunday with gym shorts and sunglasses and social media goes nuts. He finishes near the bottom of the pack and then a million articles are written about when we might see him again. I mean, you can set your watch to it. How many times do we have to watch this movie before we realize this is very much like the 22nd installment of The Fast and Furious, and we're all kind of over it. Give me Tiger Woods at a couple majors a year until he's 50 and at the Masters for the rest of his life, and I'll be good. That's all I need. That's where I'm at now. Good. And we move on to the ball rollback, what should be the hottest topic of the day, but it isn't. So here's a very, very quick overview on the ball rollback and what it means for anyone not really paying attention. The golf ball is flying 10 miles right now, and that's because what happened in baseball 10 years ago started happening in golf when the track man showed up. Swing speed and ball speed are everything right now because the players have turned the game into a math equation, the same way baseball executives did when they started believing that hitters with a 190 average who smash 40 home runs a year are better than dudes who bat 300 but don't go yard. And what do we get in baseball? A bunch of strikeouts a bunch of walks, and a bunch of home runs, and nothing else. And the product suffered so badly for it that baseball passed rules last year to literally save its game from death by boredom. And now golf is staring down the exact same thing because now that everyone hits the ball a mile and accuracy is no longer at a premium, you have an incredibly boring, predictable thing to watch. Guys figured out that if they hit the ball 320 to 340, it doesn't matter where it winds up because a lob wedge out of the rough is still an easier shot than a six iron out of the fairway. That style of golf has been dubbed bomb and gouge, bomb it down as far as you can, gouge it out of the rough, make your 10-foot birdie or two-putt for the easiest par. And what do you know? Tour events are being won at 30 under par. That's boring, but beyond boring, it's not sustainable because technology keeps making these guys longer, but the earth stays the same size, meaning they've already maxed these golf courses out as far as they can go. There isn't any more grass on the properties, and these dudes are still shredding them, and that's created all sorts of problems besides just really boring golf to watch. For one, the drivers have a sweet spot the size of the Grand Canyon and are more forgiving than Jesus Christ himself. And these golf balls are so incredibly tuned that even the mishits are knuckling and staying way more online than they used to. And when they finally return to earth and hit the ground, like you said earlier, they roll out 10 to 80 yards depending on where you are. Yeah. It's video game golf. It's video game golf with no end in sight because every manufacturer has to keep improving their products every single year in order to stay in these bags and stay in the golf shops for all us amateurs. So now that you know what the problem is, here's the solution. Apparently in 2028, the USGA and the RNA will roll back the golf ball and make it fly 5% less far. 2028? It's not going to go into effect for five more years. <laughs> Fuck. That means someone hitting it 300 yards will now only hit it 285. When the solution was originally presented, it was presented as a rule that would only take effect in the professional game, and the pros bitched about it because they bitch about everything. Now the new rule will also go into effect at the amateur level. Again, this doesn't happen until 
2028. Your thoughts on the ball rollback angle? I love it. I'm going to tell you a story. 17 Indian Wells Country Club Classic course. For a long time, 40-ish years of the Bob Hope Classic, Indian Wells was the favored course among the professionals. 95% of the time, the tournament was decided there on the 18th green. 17 is a dog leg left. There's a bunker through the fairway on the right and big trees up the left side. And with the old technology, you can't cut the corner. You'd have to paint the fairway. So driver brought in the wash on the right and the spiderweb trees, or if you didn't turn it over enough, brought in the bunker. So the play was power two iron with a little hook to it. And it was just such a hard shot to pull off, such a sexy shot. And I think it was the year Paven won. I think it was 88, 89, the year he chipped in on 17. Basically what happened was there was a three-horse playoff and Corey Paven and Mark O'Mara and some other guy, they were, they were in it. And they kept tying after 18. And so they'd start playing 17, 18, 17, 18. And it was like the third go around. And from regulation through the playoff hole, Mark O'Mara was teeing off on that tee box and the other guys were trying to hit driver and they were squirrely everywhere. And he was hitting one after the other of the sexiest two iron draws you've ever seen. Rolling out to where sometimes my drives go today when I play that same very hole from the same yardage. And when I go there and you're there in person and I tell that story to whoever I'm playing with or showing the course for the first time, and I'm like, now imagine an old blade with the old lofts, no bounce, putting that down with the tournament on the line, with the old ball, and controlling that right to left, landing it in the perfect spot, and still rolling out to eight, nine iron distance. It's fucking incredible. Way cooler to see, think about, watch, imagine, than fade 460cc driver over the eucalyptus tree to a flip wedge. We've lost all of that coolness of what once was with this 190 batting average home run contest. I feel like no one's realizing what the main issue is. And it's like you mentioned, it's real estate. What does it matter if you're hitting an eight or a nine iron? What does it matter if you're hitting a five or a six iron? We're talking about a club difference. And if that could save some of these legendary properties from still being compatible to today's game, isn't that a little more important than swinging like Kyle Berkshaw <laughs> in a PGA Tour event? It's not a long drive contest. But here's the biggest problem, Hawk. Yes, everyone's talking and focusing about the driver. The problem is those mid-irons. The ball's going too far on the irons. These guys' irons are way too long. They're way too juiced. Pros now have fucking seven woods in the bag because the five wood was too long. And it didn't make sense. Their three woods are too long now. Most of those guys, when they tee off with a three wood, they're hitting it almost as far as their driver. Do we really need to see 190 yard nine irons? We've lost all the the romance, the artistry. I don't think this ball rollback's enough. I think the drivers need to go smaller. Everyone should have the same steel shaft and like a 330 cc driver. And let's see who can fucking hit it. You want to take risk and hit it a little further because it's got a steel shaft? Well, you got to swing a little harder. Let's see it. These guys are getting away with murder. They're hitting knuckleball misses. 
in the Gillis game on Wednesday last week, and we just all talk shit religiously on each other throughout the round. On six, he birdied the hole, right? And made a long putt, but on the tee shot, he hit his drive, and it was just like this duck fart push draw that went nowhere. And then he showed me his driver, and he hit it like not on the toe, but like almost off the toe. So when he made his putt for birdie, I was like, well, that's the difference between today's game and yesterday's. And he's just like, what? And I was like, well, you would have been re-teeing a whiff. Instead, you have a birdie because your driver is the size of Iowa. And it's like, that's the difference. He literally missed the sweet spot by an inch and a half. And he had a birdie. That's all that needs to be said. The problem isn't necessarily the ball. It's the driver. Back in the day, if you were hitting your driver bad, when I played junior golf, it was like, you should shelf that thing, keep it in the bag. Probably best to start teeing off with your two iron. And that was thought to be the smarter play. Now these guys have seven woods that go 260 yards. <laughs> it's clearly a problem, dude. There's so many rad courses that are 6,800 yards, and the PGA Tour would never even look at them twice ever again. That's the problem. Unfortunately, these little changes aren't going to make that big of a difference. What I find interesting is how upset the golf world is. And by golf world, I mean the commoners, everybody in the chats. We're talking about grown men typing on a little electronic piece of glass with their thumbs going straight to emotional responses and personal attacks over a ball going 15 yards shorter. Grow up. What does it matter, dude? It's golf. They're still going to hit it out there. What does it matter if they're hitting a seven iron or a pitching wedge? Lee Westwood tweeted today, quote, the distance issue has been a ball and driver combination. It's not just the ball. The driver heads got too big and they developed a ball to maximize this and vice versa. Who knows? We might get back to a place where hitting the driver out of the middle is rewarded again, end quote. Yeah, he's right. And that's translated into the irons too, because now all the irons are de-lofted, hollow. They've found ways to trampoline those things too. It's already too late. They're not going to restrict those drivers. Dude, you used to have to crush one with a draw to get 320. Tiger's bunting it down there and rolling out the 340 with a little cut. They've made it way too easy for these guys. These guys are incredible. Their success rate of hitting the middle of the club, they don't even have a fucking word in the dictionary for it. It's beyond elite. These guys are freaks of nature. They have a knack for the ball that is so light years ahead of normal golfers that to give them a driver that size with a shaft that tuned and a ball that just wants to fucking jump. It's just not fair. So when I was younger and just had my driver's license, I used to drive around my younger brother, Aaron, AKA Sock and Dingers. You love to hear it. And when he would see somebody with their dog getting just pulled around by the dog on the sidewalk, you know, the dog's running crazy and you're just grabbing onto the leash for dear life. He would always lean out the window and scream, hey, who's walking who? When it comes to golf, who's walking who? Are the manufacturers walking the game of golf right now instead of vice versa? Meaning there's so much money in the equipment industry and every year they have to put something out that's bigger, better, 
faster, longer, more forgiving. There has to be a ceiling for it if we haven't already just gone way past it. It's simple. This equation is simple. Keep doing that. There's a difference between amateurs and pros. Give the amateurs all the technology they want. Those are the ones buying the clubs anyways. So there you go. Problem solved. Industry stays the same. And the pros play a different game because they're elite. It should be harder for them. And tip it out. Let's see them try to turn one over and chase it out to the right part of the fairway and go for it with something like way more risky. That sounds like way more exciting golf to me than cutting the corner and watching that thing just bounce 80 yards than hitting a fucking... 180-yard pitching wedge? Come on, dude. You're not fooling anybody. Think about it. What is more exciting? Risk, reward, carnage. You watch these guys get in trouble, get out of trouble, that's excitement. You watch these guys hit the right shot, now that we have the shot tracer that shows the shape of everything, and you see these cool fucking shots that are starting low, climbing, and turning over around the corner, trickling out to the dog leg, and then they go for it with something risky that like bounces through something weird and chases on, the crowd goes wild. That's fucking excitement. Watching John Rahm hit a half backswing, 330-yard fade, and then slap a sand wedge six feet from the hole and arm lock a fucking putt that goes in, you're telling me that's more exciting? You're kidding yourself. You're not fucking paying attention. I mean, guys have made a career on Instagram by hitting stingers. (laughs) People love watching that shot. That's what the old ball did. These kids nowadays, they don't know. They don't know any better. They just want to see the guys hit it far. Fucking joke. As a very, very smart and wise woman said over the weekend, out with the new, in with the old. Love it. You love it. You just love it. You love to hear it. You You love to be it. You love to feel it. And you love to taste it. So wrapping up this topic, you heard Engel's take, and I, for one, have no idea how anyone on earth has a problem with this ball rollback. If you're an amateur, your 240 drive is going to, what, go 232? You're still going to hit the same club, your second shot. You're still going to card the same score at the end of the round. And let's be real. No one's going to enforce or notice if you're not playing a new conforming golf ball in 2028. So what's the big deal? Why is everyone so mad about this? And as for the pros, pull your pants up and get over it. You've been coasting on this for too long. Golf has been so boring to watch. You haven't touched your three iron since college, and you've rendered so many historic country clubs obsolete. I'm all for the rollback. My only issue with it is it doesn't go far enough, and it doesn't go into effect soon enough. Yep. I agree with that 100%. Next topic, Sports Illustrated. Commonly referred to as SI, just got caught turning itself into AI. Wow. That's right. The longtime publication that has featured some of the best writers and storytellers for decades was recently outed for publishing articles written by AI, and those AI-generated articles were accompanied by fake headshots that you can buy on an AI website and fake names and fake author bios. Wow. Yikes. That's a triple dipper, dude. They didn't just steal a little. They stole a lot. (laughs) Now, is this a big deal? Is it a big deal that a once trusted, hallowed legacy brand who stood on the pillars of journalism is using fake articles by fake people with fake headshots and would have continued doing it had they not have been caught? Is this a big deal? Yes. I agree. Your take first, then mine. This is beyond a slippery slope. 
we are picking up steam and we're going downhill faster than we can fucking judge. And if they're doing it, who else is doing it? And what it comes down to is like you're automating art. That's a problem. So now we're just going to be entertained by artificial shit? What are we going to start spraying ingredients in our mouths and chewing air? (laughs) We're not going to eat anymore? This is bad. Is this a big deal to me? Yes, it's a big fucking deal. It's the biggest deal in the world right now because, as Engel said, if Sports Illustrated is doing it, who else is doing it? Who's using fake people to write real hard news? And how screwed are all of us if the robots are now delivering us content that we cannot discern as being real or fake? You know who's probably doing it for sure? Whoever runs social media at Golf Digest. I invite anybody listening right now, when you have time and you're on the Instagram app, go to Golf Digest's page and just scroll through it and look at their posts. They are the worst golf account on earth. Play this out for a second. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you use an article to source or prove your point and you feel pretty damn good because your opinion is now backed up by what you believe to be written fact? What if the facts you are pointing to are actually AI generated? And what if the point you're arguing and defending shapes your worldview and might influence how you think or spend your money or vote? And what if it all came from a robot? And what if that robot was used by a company solely for the purpose of saving money, increasing profit, and influencing you at no bottom line cost to their business? What if I told you that that last paragraph I just spoke was written by AI? How would you feel? Would it sever your relationship with our brand? Would it break trust? What if we didn't disclose that information and you only found out because we got caught down the road? Now, that last paragraph was not written by AI, but it could have been. How would you know? You wouldn't. You would just have to believe that I'm not peddling robot speak at you. And if you can't tell the difference between real and fake anymore, then how absolutely fucked are we all about to be? And moreover... How screwed are our children? If Sports Illustrated can do this, how many others are doing it and haven't been caught? I'm telling you right now, I am mortified by AI. I think it's pure evil and no one knows just how bad it can get. And I'm telling you, we are going to ring a bell that we cannot unring and we're getting closer and closer to doing that every single day. Mark Zuckerberg used Facebook to fund his new company, Meta, where he intends to bring people into a fake reality. I got news for you. We don't need to go there. It's coming to us. And in some instances, it's already here and we can't even tell yet. And as the father of a daughter, I can tell you that my biggest fear is how this deep fake technology can be used to hurt young girls whose faces can be convincingly put onto anybody And that body can be part of something very graphic, and that fake video can be produced by a classmate who will have this technology at their fingertips, and that classmate will have the instant and widespread distribution of the internet and text messages and can absolutely ruin someone's life in the blink of an eye because they don't have the maturity at that age to think about how devastating that cruel prank will be for the victim of it. So does AI scare the living piss out of me? You better believe it. And frankly, I'm somewhat concerned 
and put off by people who don't share the same fears. Because the only reason anyone could possibly champion continuing to develop this technology is because they're either not paying attention or because there's some get-rich-quick scheme at the root of it for them. It's just a lesson for us all, dude, that when you boil it down to its core ingredients, nothing beats analog. Yeah, you can destroy me on the internet. You can take my digital currency out of my account, but bet you can't take this gun out of my hand. And I know that's a graphic example of it, but you see where I'm going with this is that unfortunately, the more we go down this road, the further we push down it, it's going to divide things into situations like that. You start ruining people's lives with tech, you're going to get people acting up. You don't want that. It's just not worth it, dude. People aren't going to know until it's too late. That's the scary part. The scary part isn't what the capabilities and the possibilities are. The scary part is that no one's going to realize it's over until it's already over. That's what this is about because you open up the box and that's it, dude. The genie's out of the bottle. That's fucking scary, dude. So let me bring it full circle. Yes, Sports Illustrated using AI to write articles and not telling anyone about it is a big, big deal because it's the tip of the iceberg. And if we're here in 2023, what's 2033 going to look like? And is there anyone who thinks it's going to look better? I'll tell you what. The onus on every single parent to do a hell of a job with your kid just got ratcheted up because parents are the only thing standing between their kids' innocence, principles, and morality and the future of tech. Okay. You brought in Panda Express the other day. Mm. I want to talk about that. Well, it was a little cool. We had cooler weather. Some steamy hot Chinese food just really sounded like it was on the docket. Didn't it? It really did. And when I came in from the, you can see when I parked through the office, when I got out of my car and I was carrying that bag in, what did you do, Hawk? Oh, I started jumping for joy. You look like Tiger Woods, just giving the old raise the roof fist pump. I was very excited that you brought in Panda. And I like Panda. I don't have a Panda Express order. I'm not one of those guys that's got to go to. But I do know what I'm going to order every single time, if that makes sense. (laughs) And here's what I mean by that. When I walk into a Panda Express, I do one thing. I look at what item the line cook has just brought out to display under the heat lamp. Wow. I'm not going in there with my mind made up. I'm going in there just knowing I'm ordering whatever just came out of the walk. That's my go-to. Give me the freshest stuff possible. The other thing I want to say about Panda Express, because there is a Panda Express right next door to where I work in LA on Tuesdays. The worst thing about getting Panda for lunch is you inevitably get behind someone wearing a company polo or a landscaping shirt, and you just know that person is ordering for six people. Yeah, And someone in their group order wants an entree item that isn't ready, and you think you were standing behind one guy, but really you're standing behind six, and five of them are back on the job site waiting for their panda, and you're in line for a half hour when you thought you were going to be there for five minutes. God, that's such a brilliant take. How fast was I back? I was gone for three minutes. Three. And I had a sack of fucking food. Well, what happened was, is we went a little early, so we were ahead of the lunch crowd. But So I went in there, got the thing. I was in and out of there so fast, I almost felt uncomfortable. Like I was like, uh, should I buy something else? I feel like I'm forgetting something. Like This was too fast for me. 
what's hilarious is as I was walking out, there were three guys in embroidered polo company shirts right behind me that were probably doing the exact same thing. And then there were three contractors, could have been plumbers or electricians, but they were right behind them. Had I gone four minutes later, I would have gotten hawked right there. Panda Express hawked. We made it out. Delicious lunch. It's good every now and then. You can't eat that all the time. No. But I'm a guy who gets orange chicken every time. It has to be by a landslide, their most popular dish. Everybody who gets that dish knows that that shit is so fucking bad for you. For one, the amount of chicken in each bite is the size of a pea. It's 95% breading, 3% sauce, (laughs) 1.5% chicken, and the rest is MSG. And it's delicious, but very bad for you. You can just tell. And you know how I know it's bad for you? Next time any of you listening get Panda Express orange chicken, open up the box, get close enough to where it's not going to touch your nose, but you're literally hovering inches away from it, and take a deep inhale. And it hurts the back of your throat where you come up for air going, the shit is chemically advanced, but it's so fucking good. Fried rice, Panda Express, probably the worst fried rice in the world. I still get it. Don't know why. You can just look at the chunks of carrots and peas. You're like, those have been frozen in a bag for six months. When carrots have that white dust on them, those aren't carrots anymore. The fried rice is barely fried rice. They're skimping on the soy sauce. I think next time I'm just going to go all chow mein. Equally probably is bad for you, but hey, sometimes you got to have it. (laughs) (laughs) It was delicious, wasn't it? The orange chicken tastes like someone took all the sticks out of orange Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pops Mm. and just put it over some rice. I don't even think it's considered normal food or protein. I think the the sugar content in that stuff, it's probably classified as candy. Someone was telling me he's like a health food guy and we were at the old surfboard factory I used to work at and I was eating fucking McDonald's or something, you know, and he's like, you know, the the sugar content in their bread in the sandwiches is so high that technically that bread is considered candy. Wait till I'm done, asshole. Right. (laughs) You seen the steamed bun on this filet of fish, you fucker? The best damn bun I've ever had in my life. It's got a little grease on top, too, because like their little greasy fingers, when they grab that thing and throw it in the box, mm. they get a little discharge on top, you know? A little glaze. You're like, oh, God. Should we go get filet fishes? Well, I was about to, and then you used the word discharge and <laughs> glaze. And now I don't know if I'll ever have Have a- you ever seen a more perfect golden brown piece of fish? No. No. You could go to a- Michelin restaurant and swap the halibut off the plate and just put a fucking McDonald's filet of fish on there next to all the other garb and present it, no one would know. They'd be like, yep, five star. <laughs> like, flaky, moist. Wow, it's fried to perfection. Now, you'd have to take the American cheese off because that'd be a dead giveaway. Sure. But filet of fish, no cheese, that's Gordon Ramsay, dude. I wrote a review for the filet of fish on Yelp the other day and said, this is flakier than Cole Young. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we're going to go grab some lunch, folks. Will Uh, it be McDonald's? Will it be Panda Express? Only time will tell. Thank you so much for listening to The Fellowship. We will see you next week, probably on a Tuesday. Monday is a little jammed up. mm. Didn't even get to talk about the SCGA staff championship where I got paired with my boss, but I guess we'll do a full recap next week. 
Thank you so much for listening. Tartar sauce.